We do welcome each one this morning uh, to our worship service as we meet together uh, to worship the Lord and to hear his word. We're going to commence by turning in our hymnals to the Psalm 40. Uh, the Psalm 40 uh, found in the section of Psalms at the back of the hymnal. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. The Psalm 40 will stand to sing. We'll sing uh, the seven verses that we have here, please.
And you may be seated. And we're turning uh, this morning in the Word of God to Philippians chapter 2, the epistle of Paul to the Philippians, and the second chapter of that epistle. We'll read from verse 5 to verse 11. And here the apostle is setting forth what is known as the humiliation of Christ, him humbling himself and coming into the world. And of course, his death upon the cross is part of that humiliation, that humbling of himself. And then the apostle speaks about the exaltation of Christ, him who is lifted up, him who rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven. And uh, that is what we have in view in the words that we will read together. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men." And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word. Let us unite together in prayer this morning and seek the Lord as we gather with him and with each other today. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we rejoice as thy people that we can approach thy throne today. We thank thee we can praise and worship thee. And we thank thee, Lord, that thou art the one who has lifted thy people up out of the miry clay and has set our feet upon the solid rock, the rock Christ Jesus. We thank thee, O God, that thou hast been pleased to establish our way. And we pray today for thy people that are gathered here, that we would indeed rejoice that our feet are no longer on that road that leads to everlasting destruction, that our feet have been placed upon that narrow road that leads to our eternal home. And we pray, Father, thou would indeed be pleased to establish our way that we would know thy path in our lives, that we know thy way, that we would live for thee and glorify thee and serve thee in all that we do. Father, we pray that thou would be pleased to forgive us for our sins and forgive us for those times in which we feel thee, those times in which we turn aside from obeying thy word. And Father, we pray thou would be pleased to convict us of our sin to draw us afresh to thee, that we would see the error of our ways, that we would grow in grace, and that we would be sanctified, that we would 
grow in our love for thee. And Father, we pray that our eyes would always be upon thee and always upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who humbled himself, who came into this world and took upon him uh, that human form, the one who lived a sinless and pure life and went to Calvary's cross to die for us. And we thank thee today for the glorious gospel. And we thank thee, Father, that there is uh, peace and there is forgiveness of sin and there is that assurance of salvation uh, that is only found through the Lord Jesus and his finished work. And Father, we look today upon the congregation that we have here in this building and as we gather together, as we worship thee, as we hear thy word, Lord, thou knowest uh, the state of each of our hearts. Uh, thou knowest those that love thee, uh, those that know thee, uh, those that uh, believe on thee. Uh, but Lord, thou knowest those whose hearts are cold, uh, those who have lost their first love, as the word of God says in the book of Revelation. Lord, thou knowest those who have never trusted thee and never repented. And we pray today that thou would convict them of sin, draw them to Christ, we pray. Save their souls. Father, we do remember the Sunday school and the work amongst the boys and girls. We pray for that work. We pray for their souls that thou would save them and keep them. And may they be those who desire to live for thee and serve thee. We do remember the families of our congregation and we pray for household salvation. We pray, O oh God, that thou would be pleased to save and redeem and do that work of grace in each home, we pray. Lord, we look to thee that thou would undertake for those who are in need. We do remember Calvin Golliger and we think of his surgery taking place and I will tomorrow. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, thou would uh, give that grace and that help, uh, not only to our brother, but uh, to his family circle. And we pray that uh, this surgery would be a success and that he would know uh, thy healing hand. We do remember those in our congregation who need thy help as well. Do you remember Brother Vern? Uh, we thank Father of Debbie and her needs at this time. And Lord, we uh, pray that thou would be pleased to Place thy healing hand upon each one. Uh, we do uh, remember uh, Steve Greer's mother as well. Uh, we pray for her. We remember Mrs. Chesney and others also. And we pray, Father, that thou would meet all of these needs uh, to the glory of thy name. Lord, we pray thou would bless us here this morning. Uh, keep our eyes upon thee. And may Christ be glorified. And as we worship together, and may we know uh, the speaking voice of thy spirit. Bless us and do our hearts good. Edify us through thy word and glorify thy name. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in our hymnals to hymn 409. Uh, 409. Uh, trusting in Jesus, my Savior divine, I have the witness that still he is mine. Great are the blessings he giveth to me. Oh, I am happy as mortal.
can be. The hymn 409, we'll stand uh, to sing, please. may be seated. We're turning in the Word of God this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
and we'll read from verse 8 uh, this morning. We're coming to the end of the chapter, the verse 16, uh, but we'll read from verse 8. And the apostle, as we know, has dealt with the elders of the church. He is now dealing with the deacons of the church. And he says in verse 8, Likewise must the deacons be grieved, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grieved, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how, ought, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible truth this morning. I do want to give a word of welcome to each one gathered in, uh, to those who are visiting with us. Uh, we especially welcome you and those online as well, and we trust the Lord's blessing upon our worship and upon the preaching of his precious word. Do you remember the service this evening, uh, preceded by the prayer meeting at 5.30 p.m., and then the worship at 6 p.m.? And then after the service this evening, we are meeting for our time, our monthly time of food and fellowship. And so we encourage you to come back this evening and to not only hear the word of God and worship him, uh, but have a time of food and fellowship after the service as well. On Wednesday evening at 7.30, we have our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study in person and on Zoom. And then on Saturday at 9 a.m., we have our monthly ladies' breakfast, and we do encourage the ladies of the congregation uh, to come to uh, that breakfast, and uh, we trust that it would be a good and blessed time. If it is that you uh, would like to come, uh, but maybe you uh, don't have the access to transport to come, or you would like a lift or need a lift, uh, then do speak to me, and I uh, might be able to get something arranged uh, for you, uh, to bring you here uh, for uh, that breakfast and to take you uh, home again. So do remember that, and we encourage the ladies uh, to come as well uh, to that. And then in the evening, 7.30 p.m., we have a monthly men's prayer meeting, and we encourage the men of our congregation uh, to come and to pray, and that will be on Zoom as well. Next Lord's Day, uh, we have our uh, usual services, 9.30, the Sunday School for Children and Adults, 
10.30 is the morning worship, and we'll have the Lord's table after the morning service at the end of it. And then we have the service in the afternoon at Langley Lodge, where we go and preach the gospel of Christ to the residents there. And then the prayer meeting at 5.30, the evening worship at 6 p.m. Do you remember the baptismal service on Sunday the 10th of March at 7.20 after the evening service? And a young brother, Cole, is being baptized. So uh, do remember that. Do plan to attend. And we trust it will be a blessed uh, time uh, together. On Friday the 29th of March, we have our Good Friday service. And uh, that will be at 4 p.m. And then immediately after, we will have uh, a time of food and fellowship uh, downstairs. This is something that... Uh, happened uh, prior to the vacancy and prior to COVID, and we're recommencing it this year. And so uh, we encourage you to come along, invite friends and family in as well. Uh, I noticed that I think there is a sign uh, somewhere uh, in the church that uh, was used to advertise this in the past, and maybe uh, we can look that out as well and make this service known. Uh, but do encourage friends and family to come and we'll have a time where we worship the Lord and reflect upon uh, the crucifixion of Christ and then some food and fellowship downstairs. We're still uh, looking volunteers to help with the uh, vacuuming and care of the new upstairs carpet. There is a list on the hall table, or a list on the hall uh, on the clipboard that is on the wall, and there's a list of dates there. And if you can help any time in helping to keep the new carpet clean, uh, then do put your name on that and do speak to our brother Charlie uh, for any information. Our sister congregation in Toronto are having. Uh, a youth week, July the 1st uh, to the 5th, and uh, that is uh, yeah, it's taking place, I think, in the Toronto area. Uh, the cost of that is $500 uh, for all the activities, accommodation, food, and then there is an additional cost of flights. And if there are those in our congregation here who are interested in going on that, uh, young people, uh, then do speak to me. I can pass the contact details on to you. Uh, the deadline has been extended slightly as there are a few places still available, uh, but they want to get everything finalized by the 4th of March. Uh, so if you are interested in going on that and would like some information, uh, do speak to me. And then there's a mission trip that is being planned by a mission board to Jamaica. And that will be the 10th to the 17th of August uh, for those who are 16 plus and who are in regular attendance at our services. And the cost of that will be $200. I think that's in United States dollars. And uh, that uh, does not include flights, etc. cetera. Uh, so if you are interested in going on that, it's not limited uh, to young people as well. But if you are interested in going on that, please speak to me. I have the details and I have the application form. Our sister congregation in Mexico City have recently met uh, to elect uh, serving elders in the congregation, and those elders uh, have been approved by the presbytery, and the ordination service uh, for them will take place in May. Uh, so do remember the work in Mexico City, our brother the Reverend Jason Boyle, and uh, the work there being strengthened uh, by the election of these spiritual leaders. These are all the announcements and the subject to the will of God. We're going to turn in our hymnals 
uh, to our offering hymn, the hymn 513. Uh, 513. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. We'll remain in our seats while our offerings for the work of the Lord are received, please. Father, we thank thee, Lord, that we can gather together this day, this day that you've given and set aside for our worship and our adoration to thee. We thank thee for all thy blessings. Take our tithes, take our offerings. We ask that you would use them and bless them, that the gospel message may go forth over the radio, through our own mouths, through other means, but we pray that you would touch hearts. Bless as we open your word. We ask that you bless our pastor, give him the words to preach, touch each heart here today, young and old, and we thank you, Lord, for all your goodness to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand to sing 513, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 and verse 5, standing to sing, please.
may be seated. We're turning again in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's going to be back today. We had a short trip to Calgary. We left on Thursday evening, and I was preaching at a wedding on Friday. And we traveled back uh, yesterday evening. We thank those who prayed uh, for the wedding uh, of Alicia and Maroon. And they, uh, ha- it was a lovely day. And it was a, it was a great uh, time uh, celebrating uh, their love and uh, their marriage in the Lord. And it was great scenery as well. The wedding wasn't in Calgary. It was in Canmore. And it was an outdoor service on the patio. And I had behind me a great view of the mountains, and it must have been very distracting for those uh, who were watching me preach, uh, because the view behind me was much better uh, than actually looking at me. Uh, Here today, I don't think there's much distraction. Uh, You either look at the wall or you look at me, there's no mountains in view. Uh, But it was beautiful to see uh, the creation of God there, uh, to feel the creation of God as well, because it was windy. Uh, I'm glad today uh, that my Bible is flat. It's not moving. Uh, I had to close my Bible on Friday and preach from my iPad uh, because the pages were turning uh, so much, and I had to hold the microphone as well, and uh, the wind kept blowing. I don't often close my Bible when I preach. I don't believe we should. Uh, We should have it open, Uh, but those circumstances were a little different. Uh, There was one point where I thought the wind was going in under the sleeve of my iPad and was going to lift it up off the stand and onto the floor. And so all this was going on in the middle of preaching. Uh, But it was a good time. The Lord blessed, and uh, we trust uh, that uh, the gospel that went forth Uh, to those who were outside of Christ would indeed uh, be planted in their hearts by the Spirit and he would uh, draw them uh, to the Savior. These opportunities, weddings, funerals, whatever it might be, are great opportunities uh, to say something uh, for the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And I've preached at two weddings since I've come to Calgary. Uh, I didn't preach at my own wedding, uh, but I preached at two other weddings and on both occasions uh, those who were getting married were very clear that they wanted the gospel simply preached uh, so that unsaved family members and friends uh, could hear uh, the wonderful words of the gospel. And that's a great thing. And certainly uh, we trust and pray that that word uh, would indeed uh, bring forth fruit in the days that lie ahead. But First Timothy chapter 3 in the verse 16 The Word of God says here, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. Let us pray and let us seek the Lord, please. (coughs) Eternal God and a loving Father in heaven, We thank Thee for uh, Thy Word today. Uh, We thank Thee for the clearness we have here. We thank Thee for these wonderful truths that we are coming to consider. We thank Thee that we have a faith that is firmly fixed upon the Savior, uh, that our faith is upon one who is the eternal Son of God. (coughs) We thank Thee we are resting upon God the Son for salvation. 
and not a mere man. And we thank thee, Father, that salvation is all of thee. It is thy work. And we pray today for those outside of Christ that they would indeed see that they must humble themselves and they must embrace Christ who is offered to them freely in the gospel. Lord, bless the preaching of thy word. We pray that thou would be pleased to meet with us today, apply thy word to all of our individual needs, and glorify thy name, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. In the midst of an age of error and heresy and apostasy, and as the church of Christ, we must always be mindful of the existence of all of these things around us. The church of Christ through error and heresy and apostasy is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We see that in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, the verse 15, uh, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the church who takes that truth and uplifts that truth. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must have a strong desire uh, being practically outworked in or in our lives for the truth of God. Uh, Proverbs tells us to buy the truth and sell it not. And therefore, as the church of Christ, we ought not to part with that truth for any reason. We must take care, therefore, how we preach and how we maintain and how we publish that truth. And dear believer, there must be a desire within your heart, a strong desire, a fervent desire to know the truth of God, to study the truth of God, to meditate upon the truth of God, to sit under the preaching of the truth of God, wherever there is opportunity to do so whether that is preaching to believers specifically or the preaching of the gospel of Christ by which we can be furnished with that greater understanding and practical use of how to present the gospel. There must be in all of these things a desire to grow in that truth, to practice that truth, and to publish that truth. To those who are outside of Christ, for you to know Christ as your own and personal Savior, you must also have a desire for truth, for an understanding of who you are and what your sin is as that which separates between you and God and an understanding of your absolute helplessness in matters of redeeming your soul and an understanding that salvation is all of God and that you must repent and believe the gospel. So the apostle emphasizes here that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. There is a duty to abide in the truth, to publish that truth, to proclaim that truth. But the question that logically follows then is, well, what is the truth? Men have a great idea as to what the truth is, but we must understand that the biblical expressions, we must understand the biblical expression of the truth of God. As Reformed and Confessional Presbyterians, we subscribe to documents that systemize the doctrines of Holy Scripture. And a confessional church is a church that has a clear and defined confession of faith. Something that they say, this is what we believe Scripture teaches. This is what we preach. This is what we proclaim. Because we believe that the Word of God teaches these things. And as we have considered before, 
especially in the adult Sunday school recently, confessions are based on and found within Scripture. And here in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, we have what has been referred to as a confession of faith, a confession of true biblical, apostolic, and orthodox faith. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And that confessional statement on its very surface speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only words of verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The question can be asked, well, what does that mean? The Greek word translated controversy in the King James Version indicates something that has a consensus, something that has been given consent. If I were to today say that this day is Sunday, and if you agree with that statement, raise your hand. I'm sure everyone would raise their hand. Today is Sunday. We would have a consensus that this is the day that we have today. And therefore, because there is a consensus and an agreement to that particular statement, it's not classed as a controversial statement that is going to be debated among us. And so simply put, the truth that the church is to maintain and uphold is not a controversial truth in the sense that it is not up for debate or that it does not need to be clearly proven against imminent accusations of falsehood coming against it. Paul is emphasizing that these doctrines and teachings and the truth of God, beyond a shadow of any doubt, these things are truth and they will continue to always be truth. And therefore there is an essential and an absolute truth in the world, the truth of God. And the great mystery that the apostle refers to here is not a mystery in the sense of we need to summon Sherlock Holmes and we need him to come and to have a think and to turn around and say, well, elementary, my dear congregation, this is what it means. The word mystery here Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. It's not that kind of a mystery. And we considered this previously, the word mystery. It is something that was hidden, but now through Christ and through the revelation of God, it has been revealed. It is not a detective mystery where something has to be looked into and evidence found. Rather, it is something that was hidden and not clear. And now it is clear. Matthew Henry said that Christianity is a mystery, a mystery that could have never been found out by reason or the light of nature, and which cannot be comprehended by reason, because it is above reason. It is a mystery, not of philosophy or speculation, but of godliness designed to promote godliness. It is a revealed mystery, not shut up and sealed, not shut up and sealed. One commentator said that the greatness of the mysteries of the gospel is undeniable. There's no doubt about it. The mysteries of the gospel are great by common consent. And so we have before us then this great mystery that has been revealed. Who God is, who the Savior is, what the Savior has done for us. 
We can think of the apostle in the context here. He visited the city of Ephesus, and there in Ephesus stood the temple of Diana, a temple to pagan idolatry. And as Paul considered that, and considered those that worship this false deity, in their minds a deity, he writes here, Great is the mystery of godliness. His very phrasing conveys the glory and grandeur of the gospel of Christ. This is not something that is mere religion. This is not something that men will one day put to the side because Christ is not real. This is something that has been proven and something that is true and something that he believes. And what does he do? He writes it out in the form of a creed, a confession setting forth six particular truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's these truths we're going to consider today. I don't have six points. I have three points. And I have brought these things together, almost like an umbrella term for each one. And so uh, you're getting six points for the, for the price of three, I suppose, this morning. Uh, buy one, get one free. There we go. Uh, but when we consider these things, this creed is about confessing Christ. Confessing Christ. And dear believer, do you desire to confess Christ within your life? To confess him to others? To show forth, this is my Savior. This is who he is. This is what he's done for me. He's redeemed me. He's saved me. He leads me. His Spirit works within my life and enables me to live for him and serve him and witness for him. What do you believe concerning the Savior? Confessing Christ. And so we have three uh, particular thoughts this morning that uh, bring in all the six thoughts that the Apostle has. And firstly, we have the reality of Christ's humiliation. The reality of Christ's humiliation. We see that, verse 16, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels. Seen of angels. God was manifest in the flesh. And I want to stress to you all this morning the importance of that particular statement. What it is emphasizing. What it's referring to. The second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Son, became flesh. God took upon himself the form of a man. And in this doctrine we have the great foundation for our salvation. For without the incarnation of the Son of God, there would be no salvation. There is one God, Paul said in chapter 2, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And the mediator is the one who comes between God and comes between men. He is one who represents God, for he is God, and he is one who represents man because he is man. And this is our Savior, the Savior of sinners. And Paul is confessing here, and he is teaching Timothy in the church that this is an important doctrine. It needs to be confessed. It needs to be believed and taught. 
Matthew Henry said that God was manifest in the flesh. That proves that he is God, the eternal word that was made flesh and was manifest in the flesh. And this truth was contained in the early Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And God the Son had lived in the splendor of heaven. He was not a created being. He was one who eternally existed, and he became man. He took upon himself uh, the form, the body of a man. And this is the mystery of the incarnation, how God the Son became the God-man by taking upon himself human flesh and blood. He became one with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. Of course, we see that in the Shorter Catechism. Who is the only Redeemer of God's elect? The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Christ the Son of God became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin. Without sin. And Christ had a real human body. He was tempted as we are yet without sin. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. He suffered there upon the cross. He was one who was weary on occasions. His humanity was a very real humanity, but his deity was also a very real deity. He continued to be the eternal Son of God. He was not created at the Incarnation. And we'll come to say something more of that in a moment. He was manifest in the flesh, and he became man and humbled himself like we have in Philippians 2. Why? So that he could go to Calvary's cross to represent his people, to die for their sins. And Paul's confessing this. Our faith the great foundation of it is Christ coming into the world to be its Savior. And we see as well that he was justified in the Spirit. And when the Savior died upon the cross of Calvary, he did not remain in the grave. He was justified by the Spirit. Or in other words, the Spirit confirmed and proved that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world because he was raised from the dead. And Christ, the other term that is used here, was, is vindicated. He is vindicated. The Spirit came at the baptism of Christ and descended upon him like a dove. He was with the Savior throughout his earthly ministry. And at the resurrection, he was raised from the dead. And so we have the stamp of God, the stamp of the Spirit of God upon the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things happened, they took place. There were those who at this time would have witnessed some of these things. Some of the apostles, some of those in the crowds would have known 
the power of Christ. And some would have witnessed the resurrected Christ. When he was raised from the dead, that confirmed everything he ever said or he ever did as being that which was of God and that which was true. That is why the resurrection of Christ is so important. Because not only does it show forth in Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, our own resurrection and our own victory over sin. Because Christ had that victory over sin and death. But it shows forth that Christ is who he says he is. Because he rose again. What an important statement of a confession that is. That the Savior rose again, that he was justified in the spirit. He was also seen of angels. There were angels who witnessed the incarnation. There were angels there at the tomb when the Savior rose again. And there was this witness not only on earth, but a witness in heaven to who the Son of God is. There's something that we need to emphasize again. And we've been doing that in the adult Sunday school. The early creeds that we've considered even this morning, the Apostles' Creed, but we think of the Nicene Creed we uh, consider in the Sunday school. They emphasize the humanity and the deity of the Savior. We've considered the catechisms that point that out. But there are Unitarians and Arians, non-Trinitarians, there's cults as well and other faiths who take the person of Christ and they lower him to a mere man. In their ideology and in their doctrine, they remove his deity from their beliefs and their teachings. And therefore, a mere human man cannot save sinners. A mere human man who then must be a sinner can certainly not save sinners. And so the belief of Christ's deity and the defense of Christ's deity is vital in our day and in our generation. Church history as we've considered the last number of weeks, teaches us that very point. How men came into the church and how they taught that Christ is not God. We saw this morning about the Presbyterian Church in Ireland in the late 1700s, early 1800s, how they, many, promoted Unitarian doctrines. Arian beliefs. And what did it do? It hindered the zeal of that church. It hindered the fervency in preaching. It hindered their evangelical emphasis. Because if Christ is a created being, if he's not the true eternal son of God, that changes our focus and that changes our perception. And what we have here then is the reality of his humiliation. And that points out to us, he is truly God who humbled himself. And we're moved in love, are we not? Are we not moved in our hearts thinking of the eternal, pure Son of God who came into this world to die for us? That's the message of the gospel. How Christ left heaven, how he came to earth, how he died to redeem sinners from their sins, the only way in which they could. And he is the only Savior because he is the eternal Son of God. When we think of the reality of his humiliation, may we thank God that Christ humbled himself and took our place. What about you and the Savior today? Do you love him? Do you believe in him? 
Do you serve him? Do you rejoice that you're not serving a mere man who cannot save, but the divine Son of God who's redeemed you for all eternity? Our emphasis here is about confessing Christ and the reality of his humiliation, his incarnation, his death for sinners. Is this something that you love to confess? You love to sing about? You love to confess with your mouth to praise him for who he is and what he has done for us? Paul cries out here, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, earth and heaven, have witnessed what he has done for us. Out of love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Dear believer, rejoice in what Christ has done for you. Rejoice in his incarnation, in his humiliation for us. Rejoice in his death. Rejoice in his resurrection. But then secondly, we have the application of Christ's redemption. The application of Christ's redemption. And we have two thoughts here in verse 16. Paul says that God was manifest in the flesh, uh, moving forward, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. And these words in this confession teach us what the effects of Christ's humiliation and work have been in this world. It teaches us the duty of the church to preach Christ that the world will believe upon him. We take the reality of his humiliation and we apply that to the church and the church live for that and believe that and live in light of Christ's humiliation. And what should that do? That should move us to live for Christ, to believe upon him, to preach him, to set forth his name among men as the only Savior. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. You see, when we take that great truth of Christ's humiliation and Christ's work for us and Christ's person, it affects us. It affects us. The church door opened this morning and His Majesty King Charles III walked in and, and sat down. I think we would just continue the service as we're doing so. We serve a greater king. But no doubt, would there not be a reaction? Your attitude and your thinking, your thoughts, what you might do after the service will be affected because this individual has walked in. You might want to meet him. You might want to get far away from him. You might want to say you're praying for him. You might want to share the gospel with him. There, there's a reaction because the king has just walked in. And when we think of the truths of our great king and our true king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, those truths that come into the church and have affected our lives are the great foundation for what we ought to be doing and who we are as the church of Christ. It affects us. And it must affect us. Because of how great these things are. We're confessing Christ. We're confessing these truths. And it changes us. Salvation is salvation. The redemption that Christ has given you, dear believer, has it changed you? 
If you look at your own life, and you look at your own sins, and you look at what you did in days long ago, and if you were asked to stand and testify, you'd be filled with shame, thinking of all those sins that you committed, to all that rebellion against God, and how shameful it would be for, and how embarrassed you would be, perhaps, to think that many of us would hear the great sins you committed. But yet, did Christ not change you from that? Are you not now a new person? Are these things not left behind in the past, covered with his blood? You've been saved and changed. What a change Christ has made in your life. And that's the change that we're talking about here, the reality of his humiliation, the reality of his death for us, the reality of our faith in him. It changes our lives completely and ought to continue to change our lives. When we think, moving into what we have here, preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world, the church has a duty to preach Christ. There is that great commission. Pentecost was only the beginning of the worldwide work of the gospel of Christ. If you turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, you will see something here. The Savior gives them again a form of the Great Commission. <laughs> this is what the disciples are to be doing. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They were to reach out with the gospel. Reach out and to spread the gospel of Christ. There's the great commission the church is to be engaged in. Christ is to be preached. And the preaching of Christ is to be heard by his church. When we consider the greatness of Christ's person and truth, why would we not want to read it, to hear it preached, to be in attendance faithfully at the house of God under the teaching of Christ? The truth of Christ demands such a response from us. I was talking to some individuals in the last couple of days about the pandemic and churches, especially in Alberta, and churches that refuse to close. We're not going into all of that, but there's a point to be made that some churches place such an emphasis upon the people gathering together. They said, we're not closing. We're meeting together. But at the same time, those churches that had large attendances only had one service, and they were really, really defending that one time they come together. They had other services later on whenever the fire code was going to be broken, and they couldn't fit all the people into the church. They had other services. But normally... There was just the one gathering, the whole Lord's Day and one gathering. If church is so important, why not have two? If the congregation is there to support that, why not have two? Why not use that extra opportunity to not only preach the word, but to hear the word? Surely it's a good truth. Surely it's a necessary truth. Surely it's a truth that we desire to hear. 
Can we ever get enough of God's Word? Can we ever get enough of the reading of Scripture, of the preaching of the truth of God? No, we can't. We cannot arrive at a point in our Christian life here on earth where we say, enough's enough. I'm perfect. And now I don't need to go to church to hear the Word. Now I don't need to read and pray because I've reached a level of perfection. It might be in your mind. It's certainly not in your heart if that were the case. We need to grow continually. We never reach the point where enough is enough. We need to continually grow. I was brought up in a Christian family. I can't even remember when I heard, first heard the gospel because I was so young. I went to church. I don't know the first time I attended church because I was so young. I remember vaguely uh, the first church that we attended. I have very, very vague memories Back in probably 1987, 88, 89, I was very, very young. Very vague memories. I was always attending church. The only time I didn't attend church was during the pandemic. And like most people, we watched online, but we weren't there in person. First time I'd went perhaps more than one or two weeks due to sickness, not ever attending the house of God. But you know what? After all those years, I was born in 1986. Now you know how old I am. You can work that out. After the service, not now. It's a distraction. But born in 1986. Attended church year after year after year. Reading the word of God constantly studying to preach, going to Bible college, reading the Puritans from long ago, reading contemporary theologians, reading some of the Nicene Fathers for the adult Sunday school as well, first time really delving into that, reading all these things. And you know what? All those years later, there's still much more to learn. The stuff I don't know. There's truths that need to be applied to my heart that I've never thought of before, that have never been applied to my heart in the past. There's still a work of sanctification to be done. There's still a growing closer to Christ that needs to be done after all those years. And it's the same for every single one of us. We need to grow and we need to be under the preaching of God's word. And we need to be under the reading of God's word. Why? Because Christ is to be preached. He's to be preached evangelistically. We're to witness for him. But he's to be preached to us, his people, that we would grow and learn and understand more of him and more of his gospel. That we can glorify him more within our lives. He's preached. He's preached unto the Gentiles. He's believed on in the world. And that is the point of preaching. That Christ would be believed. That sinners would turn from sin and trust in him. Trust in him. Oh, that we desire, we pray for that, don't we? That Christ would be believed. That sinners would turn and believe in him. This morning... Can you say Christ was manifest in the flesh? 
justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. You might say, I believe all these things. I see the emphasis here. I see these things as fact. But do you believe? That's the next one. Believed on in the world. Is that something you can say, yes, I have believed myself. I trust in the Savior. I know him. He's my king. He's my Lord. He's my master. Because you've turned from sin and you've believed in him, Paul's confession then would be your confession. Oh, that you would confess Christ. And then finally, we have the glory of Christ's exaltation. The glory of Christ's exaltation, the very last phrase, received up into glory. There's a glorified Savior in view. We do not serve a weak Savior. We do not see serve a Savior who is trampled underfoot by his people, but we serve a Savior who is exalted, who has been glorified by God the Father, one who ascended into heaven. Some would say that the apostle here is Speaking of the history of Christ, and we have this at the end, received up into glory. Reality, maybe it should be coming before Christ was preached unto the Gentiles, if we're doing some sort of order. Some would say this is the ascension in view. Others would say, well, it's referring to the second coming of Christ. Whatever is referred to here, it's true. He's received up into glory. He is exalted because he is the Son of God. He is the glorified Christ. He sits at the right hand of God, ever living, making intercession for us. We serve a Savior. This is what is emphasized here as well. We serve and we confess a Christ who is not in the tomb. He's not there. He's alive. He's ascended. He's exalted. He's in glory. We as the church of Christ serve a Christ who is alive, a Christ who is glorified, a Christ who is upon the throne. There are many in this world who follow all sorts of faiths and religions. But the great prophet of their faith is one who is not alive forevermore. One who is in the tomb. One who is not the exalted and glorified Son of God. Dear believer, do you rejoice? Do you rejoice with the exalted Christ? Can you say that this exalted Christ is my Savior? He's my God. And I'll confess him. I'll follow what Paul says. And I'm not going to be ashamed of him. I'm going to stand for him and I'm going to confess him and speak for him wherever I go, wherever there is opportunity. Let us close this morning by considering then the godliness that flows from this. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery of godliness. This confession contains practical truth. It promotes the worship of God. It encourages the exercise of true religion. The old church father, John Chrysostom, referred to as the golden-tongued preacher, he said, and he understood well, that the mystery of Christ is for godliness. He preached this mystery at his church. 
And he brought his sermon to the point of application, and he said, Great indeed was it, for God became man, and man became God. A man was seen without sin. A man was received up, was preached in the world. Together with us the angels saw him. This is indeed a mystery. And then he said, But let us live in a manner worthy of the mystery. Let us live in godliness. And that is what one commentator said is good pastoral counsel. The truth about Christ receives and demands a response about godliness. Living in a, mother, in a manner worthy of the mystery. As we consider the greatness of Christ in this confession here. Dear believer, are you living in a manner worthy of this mystery? Worthy of this truth that has been revealed? If Christ was to come and he was to spend time with you this week, and he does because he sees all things and he knows. So in reality, he is doing that. But if he were there seeing everything that you do, and he does, as I said, would you be ashamed? Because... There are things in your life that do not count as living worthily in light of this great mystery of the gospel. There are sins that have crept in. There's a lack, perhaps, of love or putting Christ first in some things that he ought to be first in. There's an ignoring, perhaps, of some of the commandments And you're living a Christianity that you've customized to yourself. And it's not the Christianity of Christ. Oh, that you would see these things. That you would walk worthy, worthy of this great mystery of the gospel of Christ. And he tells us how to do it in his word. That's why hearing the word of God preached and reading his word and studying his word, that's why that is so important because there is so much for us to learn that through the word of God we would be sanctified and that we would grow. And may the Lord enable us to walk worthy, to walk worthy in light of what the Savior has done for us. May the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer this morning. We won't sing our closing hymn, uh, but we'll close in prayer and seek the Lord. Our Father and our God, we thank thee today for thy word and for thy truth. We pray that thou would bless it to us, apply it to our hearts. May we be taught what all these things mean. May it be applied to our hearts that we would live for Christ. We would live unashamedly for our Savior, who died for us. Father, we pray that we would live worthy and walk worthy of this great mystery, the mystery that has been revealed in the gospel of our Savior. Lord, speak to hearts outside of Christ. Draw them to thyself. Glorify thy name. And may we rejoice we serve an exalted King 
Bless us, we pray. Do our hearts good. Part us with thy blessing. And bring us again to thy house this night. Lord, bless us. Do us good. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God, the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.